<laughs> you were saying? Welcome to episode 94 of the Civil War Breakfast Club podcast, joined as always by Mary, a woman who spends her mornings riding the tea and spends her evenings drinking IPAs. I am only a rusty, fizzled third rail named Darren. Hey, Mary, how are you? <laughs> yeah, it's jeez. I do ride the tea three days a week, officially a commuter Indeed. to Boston. You do. Yep. You red do, red so line and green line, East Street train. Well, you're a, you're a city girl now. You are absolutely. <laughs> so what's going on? What's happening? Well, it's good to be back recording again. It's been a couple weeks uh, since we last recorded, and our um, last episode I thought went really, really well. Uh, order 191 it was a lot of fun to record. Mm-hmm. And this week we are back talking about a person from the Civil War, which is pretty cool. So how have things yeah, been going for but, you? Uh, I mean, I mean mm-hmm. well, you could, could not have been better. Nothing but soft serve and sunshine over here, Mary, as always. So I must ask, since I am a gracious host today, what are you drinking tonight? I, um, <laughs> excuse me. <laughs> Fuck. Wow. What are you copping up tonight? <laughs> I am drinking um, Elysian Night Owl Pumpkin Ale by Elysian Brewing. Um, it's it's pretty good. It's um. I think it's like a pumpkin IPA, which is right up my alley. And I'm drinking it out of my the North Undefeated Civil War Champions mug. Okay, very cool. Very cool. How about well, you? Since you're, oh, you did ask. Well, thank you very much for asking. I really appreciate it, Mary. I'm drinking Elysian Great Pumpkin, very same beer company, different beer. I'm drinking it out of our friends, the uh, the uh, the National American some National Civil War Museum um, coffee mug here, which is really, really good because that's uh that's what i'm drinking out of so as you mentioned Mary, as you know there is a chill in the air and we are officially in spooky season that's a stupid phrase people say yeah and soon that ghost and goblins are going to be descending on us so tonight we're going to talk about another ghost this is a gray one yep. who tormented the union army for about two years in northern virginia of course we are talking about john singleton mosby mary and this has been an episode we've been wanting to do it for a few months now we talked about it back when we were um, I think as far back as like May, I think we started talking about it. And then we were like, okay, we'll do John Hunt Morgan first. And then you kept teasing me leading up to that saying I was going to definitely call him Mosby. Well, now I'm afraid I'm going to say Morgan instead of Mosby in this episode because you gave me a uh, complex. That's your problems. <laughs> but we're going to talk about this a lot tonight. Obviously, he's a subject of tonight's episode here. Yep. So Mo- Mosby's exploits as a partisan ranger are legendary. Um, he became such a cult of personality that many in the North wondered if he even existed if he was just a fig Newton of your imagination, because he was that good. Mosby was called many things. He was called a land pirate. He was called a horse thief. And his personal favorite, he was called a gorilla. <laughs> his exploits, a gorilla. His exploits tor- uh, tortured the North um, in that area of Northern Virginia. And he was even accused by uh, Union Secretary of War Edwin Stanton of, of having something to do with the Lincoln assassination. So they pinned everything on him. Yeah. That's how much of a fearsome figure he was as reviled and feared as he was in the north for southern sympathizers in that area he operated john mosey was a hero yeah he really really was so so let's jump in and see what this guy's all about yep. Mary. i think a lot of people like john mosey i think people north and south because of what he was he has an interesting life john singleton mosey was born in december 6th of 1833 at the home of his grandfather james mclaurin in a uh, powhatan county virginia he was a Revolutionary War vet, the grandfather, not John. I was just going to say. <laughs> and John John always said he remembered his grandfather his whole life because of that distinctive cough he got yep. from smallpox during the Revolution. So it's always funny what you remember. 
he was raised uh, at the family farm in a place called Albemarle and was owned by his father, Alfred, uh, near Charlottesville, Virginia, which is just a few miles away from Thomas Jefferson's Monticello, Mayor. I don't know if you've heard of Thomas Jefferson. Yes. He was a president here one time. And um, it was a home that was included slaves. His father was a slave owner. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk about that. Um, as a schoolboy, John was educated at a private school in nearby Fry Woods. It was owned by a widow where she and where John and his sister Victoria learned how to read. Yep, he learned John's to read mother, at the age of seven. Seven years old. You know, and John's mother, um, Virginia, he always sent a small black boy with to with John to and from school as his companion. And um you know, Mosby, his first memory about the institution of slavery came when he when, when he was with that black boy as John's playmate. They made him pretend to be a slave, and they actually had a fake slave auction yeah. with some schoolmates of his. And, and John talks in his memoirs about how it traumatized him because someone outbid him, and he thought he lost his friends. And, you know, and, and that was kind of the way it was for him. You know, as a kid, John was small. He was really tiny. And he never thought he even lived up to adulthood. Yeah, he was told, honest, like, I think his parents were told, like, he's not going to live to adulthood. And also because he was, like, smaller than the other kids, like, especially the boys, like, he was bullied from a very young age at school. Um, and that's going to get him into some trouble later on in life, as we'll talk about. But he learned to fight back at an early age, too. And whether that's, like, you know, this confidence he had or whatever, but he just, like, he clearly was like, whatever. He just fought back. Yeah. No, he didn't. I mean, while at school, Mosby read, he read a lot in school. Mm-hmm. One of his favorite books is a book called The Life of Francis Morton, which was about a gorilla uh, in the Revolutionary War who, uh, who often outwitted his British pursuers, which is kind of a foreshadowing what his life was going to become with one of his favorite books. Mosby eventually would attend the University of Virginia, and mm-hmm. just like you, he'd a graduate degree in mathematics from, uh, from school <laughs> and Greek as well. And, um, but at UVA, Mosby, you know, he was a good student, and but he'd also, like you said, found himself getting yep. into a little bit of trouble. He was said to be a, quote, given to lawless hilarity, which I've heard too, which is another, another situation. <laughs> you know, that incident that you kind of hinted at stands out where Mosby actually was accused of shooting a fellow student and found himself in yep. jail. George R. Um, Turpin, who, who was a notorious bully at the school anyway, and Mosby shoots him in the neck. Um, he ends up getting arrested, sentenced to one year in jail, uh, $500 fine, and he gets expelled from the school. Turpin said he was going to eat Mosby's blood raw. That's what set him oh off. Oh, my God. It well, was in, like, some debating thing, wasn't it? Like, he, he was part Who of was a debating it? society, and, like, the guy said something to Mosby, and Mosby was like, fuck you, and... Well, he had, the, he had a small pepper pot pistol, and yeah. he pulled it out and shot Turpin right in the throat, which must not have oh. felt good at all. You know, after the trial, the prosecutor is a guy named William Robertson. You know, he took a shine to Mosby, and they had a lifelong friendship. John, John, in this this, per, this prosecutor, mm-hmm. and uh, and this this prosecutor gave Mosby his introduction to law. So this is how he got into law. You know, John opened a law office in October of 1855 in the town of Bristol, Virginia. Mm-hmm. You know, well, one day in court in a, in that in the town of Abington, and this is 1860 now. He's going to meet a guy named William Blackford, and he mentions he mentioned to Mosby that, um, hey, I'm forming this cavalry company. Um, you want to join? And there was rumblings of secession going on. Everybody in the South um, was was talking about it. So Mosby decided, you know what? Hell with it. I'll join. Sounds like fun. Mosby had zero military background. 
he took his first ever horse riding lesson at this point in the town of Abington. It's yep. amazing to think that a guy who's going to be such an important cavalier didn't ride a horse, at least trained into it until 1860. Yeah. So he, he, he picked it up, as they say. That's actually pretty remarkable, you know. Tell about, yeah, I mean, you've been driving for 20 years. You still can't drive. So just think oh, about dude. how it must be for a horse. Okay. But in that presidential election of 1860, Mosby firmly supported Stephen Douglas. Mm-hmm. He was not in favor of secession, no. to be honest. But many of the citizens around Abington went to a, hear a bunch of speeches by an Alabama named William Yancey. And Yancey basically did his best to educate the Virginians on the benefits of secession. Yeah, he was and a, Yancey, he was a guy. Yancey had been like a follower of John C. Calhoun, right? And that's right. He, yeah. was part, there was about that, that tree. Um, well, as you know, Mary, I don't know if you know this, but there was a, 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 a lawyer named Abraham Lincoln mm. with a hat who ultimately <laughs> won the election. He was a Republican and he's going to win. And it's going to lead to South Carolina. It's going to secede, followed by some other states. It'll, of course, lead to the firing of Fort Sumter on April 12, 1861. Mosby was sitting in court in Abington when the telegraph came in that Lincoln had called up 75,000 volunteers put down the rebellion in South Carolina, which, of course, led to Virginia to um, put him into a frenzy to secede at this point. Despite Lincoln's urging that the troop call-up was similar to George Washington sending troops to Pennsylvania to put down the Whiskey Rebellion, Virginians were convinced he wanted to end slavery. That's kind of where it all went. Now, up to that point, Virginia, for the most part, opposed secession. Uh, fun fact, by the way, one of the one of the most ardent supporters of staying in the Union at the state convention of Virginia was guess who? Jubal Early, yep. right? And by the end of May, Virginia is going to ultimately secede. And they're going to immediately send troops to take the armory at Harpers Ferry and that Norfolk Navy Yard. So despite the opposition to secession, Mosby casts his his lot with them and decided to go along with them. And that's what he's going to do. Right. Yeah. Yeah, And he ends up joining the Confederate Army as a private, serves with the Virginia Volunteers. He's actually serving under Grumble Jones to begin, which I found really interesting. Um, And Grumble Jones is leading the Washington Mounted Rifles. So the first uh, battle that Mosby is going to be involved in is first bull run. Um, right, right. Yeah. But let's get let's get there first. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but the thing about him was interesting though because he had to deal with that camp life. Yeah. Right? And the one thing about Mosby is he hated being in camp, mm-hmm. but he loved being on the picket line. Yeah. That was his jam. He wanted to be in the picket line. In the first year, okay, during the, his whole train there. He only missed picket duty once when a horse fell on him, when he tripped and fell over a cow or some damn thing on the oh, road. And that's how he got hurt. His camp was shared by infantry as well as um, – so on May 30th, Mosby and his company are going to leave – are going to finally leave camp to join the army. Now, he's going to leave his wife of three years, Pauline, yep. as well as two children behind, something he had a very difficult time doing. If you read Mosby's memoirs, he writes to his wife all the time. Yeah. There's so many letters mm-hmm. about it. You know, to your point, Mosby's going to join that first Virginia Cavalry. It's going to be commanded ultimately by Jones, but also by a colonel by the name of Jeb Stewart. Yeah. And soon Mosby found himself with a carbine and a saber, of all yeah. things. Now, Mosby loved the carbine, but he had no use for the saber. Never did. No. Of the, he says in his memoirs, the only real use of a saber was to hold a piece of meat over a fire. I dragged one through the, I dragged one through the first year of the war, but when I became commander, I discarded it. 
It was also under Stewart's command that Mosby really became enamored with Jeb Stewart. Yeah. I mean, he had he had a man crush to say the least oh, on Jeb. He just yeah. he loved the way he handled himself. He loved how flamboyant he was. He was impressed with his leadership ability. He said he never had an equal in such service. No. Now it's gonna be important. He doesn't know Jeb. He just knows who, who he is. He's the boss. So leading to your point, yeah, the first Virginia is gonna is gonna be in that Shenandoah Valley until July 18th, when they're gonna be sent to Manassas, Virginia to participate in what is gonna be called the Battle of First Manassas or Battle of First Run, mm -hmm. if you're nasty, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. And that's where it gets interesting for him because to your point there, he gets, he sees battle for the first time. Yeah. It, yeah, he does. And it, it's after this that, you know, Jeb really gets the, like his attention on Mosby because Mosby turns out to be quite good at intelligence gathering. He does. I mean, on the, on the morning of the battle, Mosby's going to be the first guy selected to ride to the head of the squadron. Yeah. And he was, and he was given a Colt pistol. And this is a gun he's going to become his favorite throughout the war is his Colt pistol. Their job, for the most part, at Manassas was to, was to do reconnaissance, but they couldn't find any Union troops, despite being relatively close to them. And they were they were near that Balls Ford. On July second, the day after the battle, mm -hmm. Mosby's going to write to Pauline. He's going to call it a great battle and how they withstood two hours of Union shelling and took no losses. So they were kind of there, but they were just kind of participating. Yeah, and. And what's going to happen at this point is after the battle, Stewart's regiment, including Mosby, is going to move to Fairfax Courthouse. We'll talk about that later on, where he and his fellow soldiers enjoyed talking about their victory and how much they enjoyed all the food the Yankees yep. left for them to eat. They were living the life in camp at this point, full of all these Union supplies. And that's pretty much where they hung out until the spring of 1862. Mosby was back on picket duty again on the Potomac, which he very much enjoyed. Yep. Um Around then, he became he began to pick it so close enough to walk to Washington. He said he could hear the Union Army's morning drum beats yeah. in Georgetown. So he's close and he knows the area. Yeah, yeah, he knows the area very well. It's also we should mention at this time that it's also at this time that the Confederate Congress passes the Partisan Ranger Act, which is going to definitely come into play heavily for Mosby. But what this did is it provides that such partisan rangers, after being regularly received into service, shall be entitled to the same pay, rations, and quarters during their term of service and be subject to the same regulations as other soldiers. And they could also keep a lot of what they captured as well, I think. And this Partisan Ranger Act is something that is going to appeal quite a lot to, to John Mosby. Oh, it will. He'll certainly take a shine to that, to say the least. You know, while he's picketing near Georgetown, there's been ex experiences where some Union troops approach the picket line under a flag of truce so they can hang out and share food. Yeah. It was situations like this that popped up. November 21st, 1861, he's going to write to tell his wife about a great adventure he participated in. He was one of 80 men who were sent out to scout. And upon hearing the enemy ahead, they were ordered to charge at them. And this was very exciting for Mosby. So he and a fellow soldier named Fount Beatty got separated from a company when they came upon two Yankees in the woods who were firing at them. Mosby said he was able to kill one of them with his carbine and the other was killed by a South Carolinian who happened to be arriving. But he described this charge in this assault as the most dashing feat of the war up to that point and gave him a real taste of cavalry attacks. Mm -hmm. So as he's going through his experience, don't forget, he has no military experience. Everything he's learning is on the fly. But he knows what he likes, and he yeah. likes this cavalry attack. 
So Mosby's last day on picket duty is going to be February 12th, 1862. And by then, Jeb Stewart, has, he's been promoted to Brigadier General. And, and, he's, and so he and General Joseph Johnston, they're going to share a headquarters in Centerville, Virginia. Okay. Now, this is where you get lucky with career, is with your career. It's not yep. what you know. It's who you know. Yep. And this is, this is going to be the most probably the most important meeting that he ever has. One day, Jeb is acting is, is going to ask Captain William Blackford. He's the guy who originally asked Mosby and the, the Corps to join the cavalry. Mm-hmm. So he, he asked Blackford to find him a man to accompany a wagon with some ladies and escort them back behind enemy lines. Not sure if Jeb's headquarters was a barn or not, but, but, I, but I'm not <laughs> here to judge. Okay, But Jeb wants these women who were in the southern side to go back across the line to the Union and get back. Yeah. Mosby gets selected to be this escort, and he performed the task valiantly and returned to Stewart's headquarters uh, late in the evening while it's snowing really hard. Mm-hmm. So Mosby at this point had never met Stewart, and like I said, he had a serious man crush on him. Um, I don't know if he had a tattoo of his signature on his arm or not, but he, but, but, <laughs> but he serious, but he had a serious man crush on him, right? <laughs> so so basically, um, what happens is Mosby's going to beat him. And you can only imagine how that goes, you know, but he um, he's going to ask Jeb. He needs a pass to get back across the line again because the headquarters is kind of far away. He would need a pass to Mosby's astonishment. Jeb looks out the window, sees the snow falling. OK, he's going to ask Mosby to have a, a feedy chip pajama sleepover <laughs> and spend the night at his, at his headquarters <laughs> rather than go back in the bad weather. Yeah. Well, Mosby is like, are you kidding me? You can only imagine how happy he was at that point. That's like being memoirs, that's like being the math nerd and the you know the star quarterback invites you to sleep over or something. Oh yeah, hang out he, with them. He's he, Mem- Mosby's going to write in his memoirs. I never dreamt of Stuart inviting me to spend the night at his headquarters, or that I shall ever rise to intimacy with him. Well, I don't know what the hell that means, wow. but he's excited to be to be around with him. So Mosby finds himself sitting around the campfire with Stuart and Joseph Johnston where he admitted to be so intimidated by them, he even didn't even look up from the fire. Just imagine, you're a young guy, and you're sitting there with Jeb Stewart and Joseph Johnson, the, the big bosses. Yeah. When So dinner's served, and the two generals get up to go eat, and Mosby's going to stay back. Jeb's going to come back and say, aren't you coming to dinner? Let's go. And so now Mosby's going to be having dinner with them. And Mosby and Stewart at this point became friends and this friendship is going to continue until the date that Stewart dies at Yellow Tavern, mm-hmm. right? The next day after the sleepover, Mosby's going to get promoted to the position of adjutant. And so it's clear that Stewart took a shine to him, to this tiny private, this frail yeah. little guy. Um, but this is how you get lucky with your career. And yeah. it just, but just by happenstance, that's the meeting. So Mosby, along with the rest of the army, they're going to begin to move again on March 1st, 1862. And they're going to start to hear noise of what U.S. Grant is doing up at Fort Donaldson. Mm-hmm. And by now, Mosby saw the war is, is absolute Southern freedom yeah. and spoke very regularly in his letters home to his wife, Pauline. So he was against secession at the beginning, and now he's all on board. Yeah. And I think you know, being with Stewart and getting a taste of being some cavalry action, you can see how it's going for him. Yeah. And, and just the fact that he liked, you know, picket duty and all that, like it, it's clear where his career path is going with this. So that army's going to, the army's going to fall back on the rapid end to begin that defense 
of Richmond against George McClellan, who was beginning his Peninsula yeah. campaign. Now, Mosby is going to notice a large Union force was starting to follow them as they withdrew along the railroad and began to fire on them. So that next morning, Mosby is riding along with Stuart, who had gotten to know each other really, really well at this point. So um, Johnson wasn't sure if that group who fired upon Mosby was McClellan's vanguard or just some scouting party. He had mm. no idea. So Stuart kind of sheepishly asked Mosby, you know, I, I can't make you do this, but if you want, do you want to take a ride and go see who these people and are? Mosby's like, okay. He's like, yes, sir, you know. Yeah. So basically he he just didn't like to he didn't like to order. Mosby, of course, is gonna yup it all day. Yeah. He's gonna ride to the rear of that union column. He's gonna notice that they were alone, that there was no communication to Washington set up, and that group was just a diversion. So armed with this info, Mosby's gonna gleefully report back his findings to Stewart, who and he almost got shot by Rebel Pickett's coming yeah. back. It's another story. Um He's going to go find Stewart, who happens to be with General Richard Yule at this point, whose division was with them. And when he did, he passed on the news. Now, Stewart, of course, was thrilled at what Mosby discovered. So thanks to this info, Stewart is going to send his full regiment now out to bag these guys. And the result was the capture of 30 Union prisoners and 16 horses. Mm -hmm. Now, Stewart is going to write to General Johnson at this point, recommending Mosby, give this guy a promotion. Yeah. Because this, this, whatever this it is, this guy's got it. Mm -hmm. You know, most uh, McClellan's Peninsula campaign was in full swing, and after Johnson's wounding at eight pines, as we like to call it, seven, <laughs> seven pines. pines. Also, on where June first, Howard lost his arm. Well, there There's you go. my There's reference. Your Howard reference. How are you going to get him in somehow? So after that, on June first, as we know, the command of that Confederate army is going to fall to Robert E. Lee, who at this point had never heard of John Mosby. No. He never had. Mosby talks about the panic in that Confederate camps at this point. Johnson had been wounded. They didn't know what the Union's intentions were. They had this new commander that they all called Old Granny. Granny, yeah. they had no idea who he was. So you can see how this was, this was going now. Now, after McClellan's going to fall back, Stuart wants to find out if that Union general was fortifying along the creek called the Topotomy which basically emptied into a river called the Pamunkey. Yeah. Great names, by the Pamunkey. way. So Jeb is going to put a small party together again, just Mosby and just three other guys to ride towards McClellan's lines. Now, what they're going to discover is this, that about several miles along the Union right flank only had cavalry pickets to guard their lines of communications with their supply headquarters at White House Landing on the river, Right. Moses is going to return to report his findings again to Stuart, who quickly rode off to see General Lee. When he returns, Jeb tells his cavalry to roll them up, roll the cars up. We're yep. going. And it's there's some great stories with this because Lee had Lee had basically okayed that operation on June 11th. So on the 12th, Stuart, along with 12,000 troopers and two guns, are going to begin to move based on the intel that Mosby provided them. Yeah. And when an aide asked Stewart when he'd be back, Jed actually sank him. He goes, it may be years, it may be forever. Quoting the lyrics of that song, Kathleen Mulverney, yeah. he sang to the aide. That's so cool. And he jumped on his horse and rode off. But Stewart's men are going to begin this adventure, what is going to later be known as Stewart's ride around McClellan. Yeah. And when they, re when they returned three days later, they'd covered 100 miles. They rode around 100,000 men. 
They were hailed as absolute heroes. They had 165 prisoners, 260 horses, a whole bunch of DQ gift cards, <laughs> destroyed a bunch of railroad tracks. They cut the communication lines and they bagged several Union wagons. And McClellan looks like a complete, like just it's blunder in the Northern newspapers for him with this, you know, McClellan rides all the way around him. And it's included in the song, Giant the Calvary. Yeah, it, 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 McClellan looks silly. He falls back and the, the whole deal. Um, at this point, Robert E. Lee is going to get to know the name John Mosby. Yeah. And because Jeb is going to continue to petition him for promotion. Everything John Mosby touches turns to gold right now, right? Mm-hmm. So Mosby had a real knack for reconnaissance and sneaking behind enemy lines and, and wanting to do more, right? After McClellan's Peninsula campaign failed, he was sent to the corner um, – McClellan was, you know, <laughs> yep. F off, right? And John Pope's Army of Virginia offered a huge target for him at this point because they were the next they were the next ones on the on the dance floor. Yeah. Pope as famously as you know declared, what did he declare? He said, In the West, we see the backs of our enemies. We see the backs of our enemies. He also said, and we look only to his front to let the rear take care of itself. The rest of the the rest of, of his hot air is really interesting to Mosby though. Because Mosby says, you know, basically Pope says, let us study the probable lines of retreat of our opponents and leave our own to take care of themselves. Look us, let us look before us and not behind. And Mosby, he's reading this and he saw a chance to do what he always wanted to really, really want to do. And this is act as a partisan. Because Pope's attitude of looking forward, not looking back was begging for it. He's now, asking for it in the Savannah. Oh, he certainly is. And he doesn't care. He's just, he's, he just, he's just begging for it. So by definition, a partisan is, is a member of an irregular mole on military force consisting of members resisting a foreign occupation. Yeah. Basically, they're, they're just there's raiders is yeah. what they do, right? Yeah, it's like guerrilla warfare. They're raiders, you know, but yeah. like, like we talked about a few minutes ago, you know, in April of 1862, the Confederate Congress has made this kind of thing legal that these guys are going to get paid the same they're going to have the same regulations but as we're going to talk about in a few minutes it's some of them found it to be a little bit of a better life than being a soldier absolutely was pope's words dared the rebels to do it he was basically asking for it and mosby was quick to offer his services so he approached stewart for permission to put a small group together no more than a dozen or so to um, and to do what pope didn't want to do for himself which is take care of his rear that's, yeah. what, that's what Stuart, that's what Mosby wanted to do. <laughs> so Mosby hoped an attack on the rear and supplies would force Pope to use his cavalry to guard the lines of communication. So he's figuring but by destroying them, Mosby's going to cause uh, some confusion and weaken the overall strength of the army. Yeah. That was forced, first foray to be a partisan failed miserably. And this is the first time he really falls on his, on his you know, to, yeah. to his junk, okay? He was quickly captured by a New York cavalry called the Harris Cavalry. Yeah. And Mosby found himself at the old Capitol prison in Washington. Yep. But he would be ex- quickly exchanged later. It was yep, off to, to Fort Monroe. Mm-hmm. Now, normally, okay, you have a little bit of egg on your face, but um, Mosby saw an opportunity here. Oh, he did. And he took it. Yeah. So while he's sitting in jail, um, Mosby is still scouting. And he spent four days at Hampton Roads where he began to notice a bunch of transport ships yep. waiting. Just an unusual and, number of them were starting to build up. 
and he found out the boats belonged to our old friend General Ambrose Burnside. Yeah. Good mask guy, probably a Patriots fan. Yeah. The question was whether these boats, they were obviously troop ships, were they going to be supporting McClellan on the peninsula, meaning he was going to be going back to get Richmond again, or yeah. were they going to support Pope and, and go that way? So Mosby ends up learning through a Confederate spy that there were that these boats were actually meant for Pope. And now Mosby knew for sure that Mac was definitely exiting the yeah. peninsula. That was yeah. it. They were not going back because at the time they had no idea. Bottom line is Richmond's no longer in jeopardy. No. Based based on this. So Mosby is gonna he's gonna get paroled, he's gonna go back. And he's as soon as he gets back, he's gonna basically walk 12 miles in the August heat to get there. And yeah. it's just a miserable, but he goes straight for Robert E. Lee. Yeah. And Mosby did, had not met Lee before. Mosby's going to get to Lee's headquarters just to introduce himself. He proceeds to tell him what he learned about these transport ships. Um, we move in the words of an actor. Yeah. I don't know if he said that, but probably not. But Lee is going to quickly telegraph Stonewall Jackson, which allowed him to, to basically attack Pope at Cedar Mountain yeah. before Burnside's those reinforcements could get there. So Mosby's intel allowed Jackson to, you know, to go ahead um, and hit, you know, it hit Burnside. I mean, it hit um. Hit, hit Cedar Mountain. The funny story about this is Mosby, all on his walk, he found a whole bunch of lemons for some reason. Yep. And he put them in a bag and he walked up and after he met Lee, he put all the lemons on the thing and said, here you go, General. And <laughs> Lee just stared at him and said something along the lines of, you know, why don't you give these to the sick man instead? And just shook his head or something yep. like that. And so he's like, ooh, okay. But that was his first meeting Oh my with God. Lee. So you can only imagine. Somebody must have got mixed up with like who likes lemons and. Well, that's what was funny was because, you know, Jackson had just missed the boat. He just went over, you know, and she missed all some lemons. But so Mosby's going to go to, is going to, he's going to go along to the town of Hanover to meet up with Stewart again, who was planning to meet Fitz Lee at the town of Verdeersville, where Stewart's going to be surprised by Union Cavalry, including John Buford, and famously loses hat. We talked about it in the episode last week. And a few days later, Stuart's going to ride around Pope's army at Catlett Station, and when he gallop by, Stuart's going to say to Mosby, uh, come along with me. I'm going to get my hat. That's what he said. <laughs> That's awesome. And, uh, which he did well, and he found some plans, which led yeah. to the unraveling of, um, of Pope at Second yeah. Manassas. So now after that battle, which was a slam dunk Confederate victory, Mosby is going to be charged of taking nine men down to Manassas to recon- reconnoiter the area. Yeah. And when he comes across a Yankee regiment, they're going to charge at him and they're going to stampede, stampede right through the entire regiment. And what's funny about this is, is if you read Mosby's memoirs, he's got a little bit of a he's got a little bit of an attitude in him. Yeah, that raid was successful, but the newspaper in Richmond credited to Thomas Rosser and not Mosby. Yeah, and he was pissed off and he wrote back something along the lines of Mos- Rosser was not within twenty five miles of Manassas. So he wow. just he just he was just he just like, yeah. like, he liked it. But with this, you know, Stewart is even Stewart's going to at this point is going to give Mosby back his job as a partisan. He'd been yeah. caught. Now he's back. And and this would be as this is going to be John Mosby's primary role for the rest of the war. And this is really where the legend of John Mosby really begins. Yeah. So you look at his experiences so far, every step along the way, he's learning, he's picking up experiences, what yeah. he did right, what he didn't do right. And you think of the, real- the major things that he's been involved with that, you know, might not have happened without him or that he had, you know, a, a role in, you know, like the ride around McClellan, um, seeing the stuff at Hampton Roads, like, 
all this stuff that he's kind of had his hands in some pretty significant, you know, things in the civil, in the early part of the civil war. Absolutely. But the every experience he had led him to this point. Thanks to that fortuitous meeting in the snow with Jeb Stewart, which really kicked the whole yeah. thing off just by happenstance. And the feedy pajama sleepover. And the feedy pajamas. But Mosby's Raiders were born. So by, by January of 1863, when a band, of, he had a band of 15 men, mm -hmm. they're going to cross the Rappahannock to begin operations in the area where Joseph Johnston had abandoned the previous year. What's interesting about this, too, Mosby never forgave Joseph Johnson at the beginning no. of the war for giving, giving up Harper's Ferry so quickly. No. So he always had a skewed attitude towards Joseph Johnson. If you, if you read that, he, he, he goes on and on about that. Mosby saw his job as threatening and harassing the enemy on the border near Washington and forcing him to withdraw his troops from the area, meaning, you know, meaning the Union. Yeah. A rebel newspaper described John Mosby as slight, muscular supple and vigorous they said his eye is keen penetrating and ever on the alert but not it's like manly. daniel steel wrote that newspaper yeah, but not that's all but not it. manly like another no, not manly. <laughs> not, oh god but mosey would you know he he was a kind of guy too like you everybody knows one he just never sat still he was always bouncing around he was always moving he was clean shaven he said he was always smiling that was the other thing so yeah. he always always had a smile on his face in northern virginia Mosby got intelligence from behind Union lines from people he met spending that time on picket duty. So while he was there, he got to meet a lot of people. Now, the Union Army um, that was attached to the defense of Washington south of the Potomac, uh, they had set up their winter quarters throughout Fairfax County, Virginia, right? And the commander of this force was a guy named General Edwin Stoughton. Now, we'll talk about him. He's a, he was a Vermonter. He was more famous after the war for defending Robert Cobb Kennedy. He was a Confederate operative who got caught trying to burn New York City down in November of 1864. Kennedy, by the way, was the last Confederate soldier ever executed by the Union, the Union men in 1865. So that's not oh, nothing, but yeah. that's, that's the history of that. Stone's headquarters in Fairfax, uh, Fairfax Courthouse. The cavalry commander in this area was Colonel Percy Wyndham. And his job was to guard basically the outposts in the area. Now, in this area is where Mosby began his partisan operations. And he spent considerable time seeking out weak spots in the Union line, just probing and testing the lines. Fairfax County at the time was a mix of Union loyalists yeah. as well as Southern sympathizers. And everyone knew who each other was. Everyone knew this guy liked the North, this guy liked the South. But no, Mosby knew who his, where his friends were and knew where to go. Just before Mosby got the okay to begin his guerrilla attacks on the Union in the area, a woman named Laura Radcliffe, who lived in nearby mm -hmm. Herndon, had helped nurse Jeb Stewart after he was injured at the Battle of Drainsville in late 1861. But they also they knew who these people were, you know, where, where to go. Jeb was mesmerized by her, by the way, this Radcliffe, and became she became part of the Rebel Spy Network. So when Mosby began his operations, her home was a regular stop for Mosby for food and, and for rest yeah. and things like that. And that was kind of the key for Mosby. The network of Southern sympathizers offered Mosby's guys really a place to, to stay. Yeah. And by doing that, they didn't need to camp. Yeah. And that was huge. The benefit, of course, is very hard to find them if you're the union, if, yeah. you don't, if they're exactly. not in camp. They're all spread out there. They're hidden, right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And that's one of the benefits to being in this partisan to the Rangers is you're hidden. You've got to. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So 
what what about these partisans? What are we getting ready so, for? What Tell about, us about these partisan people. So about the so they're the forty third, or they will become the forty third uh, Virginia Cavalry, um, also known as Mosby's Rangers. Um, Mosby already had a reputation by the this point, so like his numbers like increased pretty quickly, and he had a reputation already too, uh, not a great one with the Union, but they were scared of him. Um, so some of the recruits were very young, young as fourteen years of age. Um, but there was some older recruits as well. Um, most of them are from Virginia, but at one time he had a Prussian with him, an Irishman, an Englishman, and also Marylanders. He had combat veterans with him. He had like guys that had never fought before. Like think about the 14, 15 year old kids that are joining him. Um, some Confederate officers even resigned their commissions to be part of, be part of Mosby's Rangers, which oh. gave him not a great reputation in the army in Northern Virginia too. Like some, there were some that did not agree with what he was doing and saying like, well, he's taking things away from us from men that don't actually, you know, want to be soldiers. Um, many of them are exceptional horsemen. Um, they're described as being deadly with a pistol. Um, and there are a lot of them are from well-off families and post-Civil War, you know, um, a lot of them go on to become lawyers and doctors and like have really great careers as well. So there's some good, sh um, there's some good stories there, but this, like, you know, how quickly he was able to grow his numbers shows Mosby's popularity at the time and this reputation, you know, he comes from being this lawyer who has no training as a soldier, no, never been on a horse until like 1860. And here he is able to bring all these guys in. But these are men that are also seeking adventures. Um, and like you said, the, the rangers would board in private homes when they weren't on raids. And this is an advantage. You get to sleep in a comfortable bed. You're going to be fed. And more than that, the union guys aren't going to be able to find you because, I mean, a lot of them know enough to hide <laughs> anything that would distinguish them as being one of these rangers, right? Um, they also had a sense of, sense of wanting to punish the union for invading their homeland. And this is one way to do it. They can take from you know they can take stuff right um at the most mosby's gonna have around two thousand men you you know that's at the very most that's at the top of you know the rangers um and they are gonna be with him from they go from 1863 right through to the end of the war even for a few weeks after that but this is something that is different than being a soldier and you know you're still getting paid you're still getting the same rations like if you're out on your your raids but when you come back from those raids you don't have to sleep in a tent you get to sleep in a comfortable bed most of the time right and and, and like you said a lot of people just wanted to jump onto it Mosby's first attacks of this period like i said before they targeted the weak spots on the picket lines yeah they hit fast they took prisoners they got horses and they got out quick the men in the picket line were used to these, at this point, they were used to these quiet nights, these winter nights. Yeah. And suddenly they had to be on alert all the time. Initially, Stoughton and Wyndham, the Union the command, they blamed local farmers for the raids. And when the raids began, the feds would find the farmers at home in their beds while these attacks were being yeah. made. Because they, they, they didn't see camps and where the hell they were. They were struck by an invisible foe. And Wyndham sent a message to, the, to, the, to a citizen who knew him, say, Whoever's doing the attacks is nothing more than a horse thief. Mosby's going to get the message, read yeah. and go, ah, okay. Yeah. He's going to respond back to Wyndham because he hates Wyndham. He writes back and he says, I don't deny being a horse thief, but all the horses I had stolen had riders on them. And the riders had sabers, carbines, and pistols. Yeah, That's what he says to him. So he's also going to tell Wyndham that his men really weren't worth capturing anyway. 
and you, you really should consider giving them six shooters since that's all Mosby really used. His men carried two pistols. Yeah. They didn't carry sabers. They didn't carry carbines. They carried pistols. He all, Mosby also added, oh, by the way, we didn't pay for our pistols. The U.S. government did. Oh. That's so much shade. And that's wow. how he was. So by February 1863, Mosby's in, Mosby's in Fauquier County where he, he says in his memoirs that he was having a gay time with the Yankees, having captured 28 Yankee cavalry and 29 horses. At this point, Mosby is operating with just 15 guys He's in his raiding party. He's attacking units of 200-plus and mm -hmm. getting away with it every single time. Yeah. They say if you enjoy your job, Mary, you're not really working. It's like you nope. at the DQ in the summertime. Oh, yeah, I love it there. I love it there. And, and Mosby was loving life, to say the least. Yeah. He was raiding unsuspecting camps, many times riding hard in the snow. And as soon as they charged, the unsuspecting Federals just turned and ran like hell, leaving mm -hmm. everything behind. Most of their horses, um, they'd, they'd send back the horses to the, to the Confederate Army. That's what they would usually do. By now, Mosby, this was going on and on and on, was firmly on Washington's radar. Okay, And he was a target, had a target on his back. Major General Major Joseph Gilmore, he's going to be in the 18 Pennsylvania, is going to, was going to be sent with 200 men to stop this gang, they call yeah. them, who are interfering. Um, basically, they were referred um, to arrest every man they could. That was their plan. So they said, any guy you get, just arrest. We don't know who these people are, but if you see a guy and he's not off fighting, he must be one of them. Just arrest them. So at first, Gilmore thought, like Wyndham did earlier, mm -hmm that it was all these older farmers because yes. they were the only guys they could find. So you know what he does? He starts pulling them out of bed and arresting these old guys. Yeah. You, and he does. So he grabbed dozens of elderly men and made them prisoners and made them march 25 miles to camp. Okay, oh march. He put God. them on a horse. Yeah. They, 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 yeah. they, they, they doubled up on a horse. They didn't march. But um, but it must have been quite the adventure for these old older guys. I mean, they don't say how old they were, but, yeah. but, they, but it sounds like they were scared like hell. So Mosby said in his memoirs of this whole thing, just picture up this big line of horses with, with a rider and an old man next to it who yeah. being accused of, of raiding. This guy probably couldn't even, you know, get up and yep. make it to the bath with a lot of raiding, <laughs> you know. But memoir, he's going to say in his memoirs, the column looked like a procession of Canterbury pilgrims. That's yeah. what he said. Uh, and, this, and so he gets word that, that, that they're not that far away. So he, with his men, are going to start in that direction to go to go free these guys yeah. and, and back this column. So Mosby's gonna follow the is gonna follow the path of that caravan was heading and he's gonna discover them about five miles on a hill uh, ahead of the town of Aldi. We talk about Aldi. Yep. And many of Gilmore's men were dismounted at this point. So the Union men were stunned because here comes Mosby charging at them. And and all of a sudden these Union guys just turned and ran like hell in all directions. Yeah. Major Gilmore, by the way, he wasn't there. He left earlier that night to get banged up with some friends. So he was drinking. Nice. He wasn't there at this point. So troopers from the 1st Vermont Cavalry, mm -hmm. which was a camp nearby, are going to get sent to go find Gilmore's men. Yeah. Because they all, they took off. Gilmore had no idea this was coming. And he looks up at who does he see? He sees the 1st Vermont coming at him. Who does he think they are? He thinks they're Mosby. Yeah. So Gilmore, what does he do? He turns and takes off too. He runs like hell. So, due to the melting snow, his men's horses were basically stuck with stuck in the mud. Yeah. And the men riding the horses, you know what they start doing to lighten the weight? 
sort of throwing the old guys off. Yeah. Oh my God. Because it's just slowing them down. Yeah. So just picture these horses trying to run in the mud and the snow and these old guys getting pushed yeah. off the horses so these union guys can take off. Gilmore is going to get back. He's going to be tried for cowardice and drunkenness and he's out of the army. They can't get yeah. rid of him for that. But these raids went on over and over again. Mm -hmm. And Mosey was becoming a legend to the Southerners and yeah. a demon in the North. One of my, my favorite Mosby story probably involves a Yankee cavalry regiment who was in camp. So kind of you've heard this one before, Mary. But one of the men, they're sitting around a camp. He decides he's hungry. He's going to get himself yeah. some food. So he decides to go over to a nearby house and he's going to knock on the door. Knock, knock, knock. A woman answers. The trooper gonna, is going to say, um, you know, you have, is anybody else in this house? And the woman's going to say, no one but Mosby. <laughs> and the guy goes, Mosby? Mosby's here? Yes, sir, Mosby's here. Well, the trooper demands, you take me to Mosby at this point. So he storms up the stairs. The woman opens the door, points at her baby cradle and says, there he is. <laughs> points, to her, points to her newborn that she called Mosby. Oh. So she names a kid for her. Oh this guy's been menacing these people. And she, this guy thought he bagged Mosby. So another story that's funny about Mosby, and this is that, that cult of personality now. Yeah. He talks about a time that he's he's riding along. He hears a guy yell, um, "You know, come here, Mosby." Yeah. He's like, "The hell!" So he goes over. He turns his horse, rides up to the horse to the house, and he asks the man. He says, "Um, yeah." And the guy's stunned, and he goes, "You want me?" He goes, "No, I was calling my dog Mosby." <laughs> God. And so, and so that's kind of what it was, you know. Mosby had a habit of robbing, you know, robbing from captives, mostly medicine yeah. that the guys he, he bagged because he knew the locals didn't have any because yeah. of the blockade. So he would catch these people. He would steal their medicine. He would give them to the locals. This added to that, that, that legend this of kind his. of Robin Hood kind of guy that he's, and he's, he's you know, he's operating in, in a, a bunch of counties, Fairfax, Fauquier, Prince yeah. William, Loudoun, all that whole area is where, is where he is. So, as the weeks go on, Mosby begins to gather a ton of prisoners. Yeah. And a lot of them were deserters at this point. Yeah. One man, he is, is a northerner from a guy from the 5th New York Cavalry. His name is Ames. Yeah. And he decides he wants to help Mosby. Yeah. And he starts giving good intelligence about troop distribution, where the gaps in the lines were, all this stuff. So at first, Mosby's like, uh-huh, okay, I don't think I'm falling for this one. Yeah. You know, it's a trap. That's what he was probably Yeah, thinking. exactly. But the thing about it, though, he wanted to believe him really, really bad. So he decides to take Ames on a raid to Fairfax to test him out a little bit. Yeah. He wanted to make sure he made sure he wasn't armed, but he took him along. In Fairfax, they discovered 100 Union men sleeping in a schoolhouse. And they all escaped except their horses. But what Mosby remembers is Ames taking a Yankee in the head with a carbine and smashing his head open. Oh. And, at that, and at that point on, Mosby's like, yep, he's one of us. And so Mosby began to trust him. Mosby, you know, he'd been doing this for a while, but he wanted to pull off his ultimate caper and he knew now was the time. Mm -hmm. Up to this point, he'd been hitting weak points. He'd been taking prisoners. He'd been getting horses. But there were two big fish he really wanted to get. Yep. It was... It was the cavalry's Percy Wyndham, who yeah. he hated, and the overall commander, Edwin Stoughton. Yeah. Wyndham, as it turns out, was relieved of command before he could do it. Shocker. But he, but you know, but he could still get yeah. Stoughton. 
and he knew Stoughton was at Fairfax County, Courthouse, County Courthouse. Yep. Now, Mosby knows the area, and so he knew this was his big chance, and he wanted him bad. Okay, he wanted yep. like like the last IPA in the fridge with the, those that's eyes of yours me. lighting up. That, that's exactly yeah. <laughs> you. So, on the evening of March eighth, eighteen sixty three, Mosby's going to take twenty nine guys, and they're going to meet in Dover in Loudoun County, and he's going to tell them, boys. I shall mount the stars tonight or sink lower than, than plummet ever sounded. Adventure to the adventures to the adventurous, he said to them. That yeah. was what he said to these guys. Now, these guys love Mosby at this point. He was a, Mosby was a hard bastard to work for. Yeah. He was demanding. He was hard, but his men loved him, and they loved the yep. adventure of so it. So it was hard so, to work for him? What? It was hard to work for Mosby. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was hard. Okay. <laughs> but but um. But that night of March 8th was dark and it was drizzling, freezing rain. Um, and they had about a 25-mile ride to Fairfax Courthouse. Mm-hmm. They're going to get about seven miles away in Warrington. And there were thousands of federal troops that they needed to get by. And this is the, really the first step they had to get by. And this is where Ames comes in. Ames, that former New York cavalry trooper, he knows exactly where the brakes and the lines are. Yep. So what does he do? They have to kind of go out of their way a little bit, but he leads them to them. So they're able to sneak right past all of these troops. They sneak right under their noses. Now, Mosby knew that darkness was his benefactor. So he wanted to get to the courthouse by midnight so they could GTFO by sunrise. because the But but the weather and that rerouting that Ames had to lead them through kind of delayed them by about two hours. It was about 2 o'clock in the morning. They made it into the area, and they're going to easily sneak past the Sentinels who are either sleeping or just too dark to see them at this point because nobody expected this. This is the last yeah. thing anybody expected. Mosby's men made a bunch of prisoners really, really quick. They bagged a bunch of guys. One of them was a guard at General Stone's headquarters. They also cut all the telegraph lines, by the way. Yeah. So Mosby now knows where the headquarters is. So Mosby had five or six guys and he's going to arrive to the house that, is, and that Stoughton is sleeping in. And he's going to knock loudly on the front door. Bang, bang, bang. Someone's going to open a window above and yell, who, who is it? And Mosby's going to respond, it's the 5th New York Cavalry yep. with the dispatcher, General Stoughton. That's what he tells him. He must have hit his accent. <laughs> and um, the door opens, and one of sta- Stoughton's staff officers, a guy named Lieutenant Prentice, stands there. Mosby grabs him by the, by, the, by the nightshirt really hard and whispers, take me to Stoughton. All I could think about is Lewis Powell yep. going to Seward at yep. this point. That's kind of what I imagined when it was going yep. through. So he goes, <laughs> so they they brought the Rebs to Stoughton's bedroom yep. where he was sleeping. And according to Mosby, like this is, you know, this is where it gets great. Mosby walked up to the general sleeping in his bed, slapped him hard on the ass yep. and told him to get up. Yep. And Stoughton's all groggy. I'm like, you can just imagine how that must have been. And he asks, what the hell's going on? Mosby says, have you ever heard of Mosby? Stoughton responds, well, yes, did we catch him? And Mosby responds, what? I am Mosby, Mosby. and he just caught you. I love that. (laughs) I am Mosby. What's amazing about this, though, is they were actually able to get him out undetected. Yeah. Since they, since basically they knew they had to get out by daybreak. So one man awoke to the noise. They they, they couldn't help make some noise. His name was Colonel Johnstone. Colonel Johnstone, ironically, was the guy who replaced Percy Wyndham. Yeah. By, so they, they found the guy. So Johnstone, he's going to see the situation. And you know what he does? He runs out the back door. 
Some say he was completely naked. Oh my God. When he ran out the back door. Why are these guys sleeping naked? Who the hell knows? But he runs out the door and hides in the garden until Mosby's men leave. They said, the hell with this guy. But allegedly he ran out the door totally where what the good Lord gave him. And he ran out and hid in the garden. Now, that's according to Mosby. That's what he says. Yeah. Who knows? But I think that's it's probably true. Who knows what's going on with that? Wow. But Mosby's going to make it back to the lines yeah. uh, and to their headquarters. Stoughton is going to get left with a local citizen named Beckham. I don't know if you can bend it or not, but that's what he <laughs> left it with. Beckham, ironically, was the father of Stoughton's um, the, was the father of Stoughton's classmate mm-hmm. at West Point. So they kind of knew each other. So he's like, all right, well, you guys know each other. You guys can hang out. When Lincoln heard of Stoughton's capture, remember what he said? What did he say? He said, I don't mind the loss of a general. I can make more, but I cannot make horses. Because yep. <laughs> he was about losing the horse. Yep. That's where this quote comes from. Stoughton's military career, by the way, done. That yep. was it for him. He goes off later to become the lawyer and defend the Kennedy, that whole yep. thing we talked about before. He literally got but he, spanked by Mosby. He did. You can just imagine that. Yep. This guy's it's running like, naked to the garden, hiding out. Yeah. It's a good, just, just imagine the, the intrigue of this. You wonder why people love working for him. So in the South, Mosby, again, is an absolute rock star now. And Jeb is gushing over mm-hmm. this. Because, you know, over this latest stone cave. Yeah. Jeb's, Jeb's going to write of this cave, of, of the capture. He's going to write, his last brilliant exploit, the capture of Brigadier General Stoughton, two captains, 30 other prisoners, 58 horses, justifies this recognition. This feat, unparalleled in war, was performed in the midst of the enemy troops without loss or injury. Yeah. They pulled this thing off and nearly lose anybody. Yeah, exactly. So Mosby's exploits are going to continue in the valley now, where he quickly becomes the bane of Bill Sheridan's existence. Yeah. With does. that great hat. Yeah. And so the, the legend con- con- continues to grow and he becomes enemy number one in Northern Virginia at he this does. point. Mosby was a soldier. Okay, and he knew what he had to do, even if he didn't like to do it. And that's going to lead to a story that's going to come out. That's going to come out a little bit later in the fall. Now, you mentioned before about Mosby's Rangers. uh, Rangers. Um, They they were young and some of these were as young as 12 years old, 14 years old. They were kids. And that's partially why they couldn't be caught. And so what happens is Mosby had been a couple of weeks before. He got shot in the um, belt buckle, as they yeah, say. Yeah, in the junk. A, a bullet ricocheted off of his belt buckle and hit him hit him in the uh, coin purse. Yep. He was out for a little yeah. while. Uh, and so um, there was an incident that happened not long after that uh, at a place called Front Royal, Virginia. Yep. Great place to go. Bell, Bell Boys headquarters yep. there in case you're in the area. September 22nd, 1864. Six of Mosby's men are going to get captured and executed by the feds yep. while Mosby's men were being commanded by Captain William Chapman in his absence from the, the junk shot there, right? Yep. These executions were conducted by George Armstrong Custer. Yeah. And, and two of the men out of the six were hanged mm-hmm. by a tree and had a sign around them saying, the fate of Mosby's men. Yeah. The other four were shot in the back of the head, execution style. That's yep. how it was. Yeah. One of the one of them was a kid named Henry Rhodes. He was probably 14, maybe even a little bit younger. He was shot in front of his weeping mother, who was begging for mercy. Yeah. Who swore he wasn't with them, and he sh- he got shot. Anyway. Yeah. It was there was one guy before he was executed. They said to him, you know, we'll give you your life if you let us know where Mosby is. And the guy was like, No, I'm not going to do it. 
And he said, my last moments are sweetened by the reflection that for every man you murder this day, Mosby will take a tenfold revenge. You know what Mosby does? He gets his revenge, doesn't yep, he? He does. Yep. So he's going to re- he's going to respond pretty quickly. He's going to message Phil Sheridan that seven of Custer's men who have been caught have been executed as retaliation. Yeah. Needless to say, that was the end of the executions. That was it. Yeah. Because if Mosby started killing people because they couldn't even find him or see him, they said, "You know what? The hell with this." Yeah. Mosby also or writes so- writes him too and says, "Can we just start treating people like the prisoners?" with you know humanity and then after that any of them that were captured were were they were t- treated as prisoners of war so there was no like you said no more executions yeah and they were also they were scared to death of mosby because yeah. th- this is a guy that he could ride right in under our nose and get stoned he could kill anybody he wanted yeah. to and they knew that so these stories there are several of these stories uh, one more is, is another famous one called the greenback raid of mm-hmm. october 1864 now he has for every story we we tell, there's three or four that we don't. You just can't yeah. you can't tell. There's them so all. many there about are, Mosby, but they're a favorite. So October '64 uh, is the Greenback Raid. At this point, Mosby is 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 destroying railroads um, along the Baltimore and Ohio Railroad in Jefferson County in now West Virginia. It was Virginia yeah. at the time, right? So October 8, October 14, 1864, um, Mosby's men tore the rails and track. Uh, of the rail, the rail. They, they, what they would do is they would tear the railroad apart. The train would come, crash, and they would go looted. That's kind of what they did. So at two o'clock in the morning, engine number twenty-seven comes rumbling through from the Balt from Baltimore and crashes, falling on its side. Now, Mosby's men at this right at this rate are about eighty-four people. Now, they're going to jump on the train. They're going to start throwing civilians out because um, the train was on fire. One woman responds and she yells, "Mercy, mercy! My father is a Mason." Mason, yes, uh, I was hoping you would tell this one. Mosby responds back, Well, I can't help you with that. Yeah. And didn't he say something like, This isn't a Masonic lodge or something? Something like that. Yeah, so he said that to one guy. He's like, This is not there. a Masonic lodge. Yeah. So on the train, by happenstance, there were several German troops who didn't speak much English at all, if at all. Now, Mosby's men were yelling at them, Get off the freaking train. Yeah. You know, just get off the train. And they're looking at him going, Yeah, nice. It is a nice day. Yeah. Thank you for asking. They don't understand what the hell he was saying. And so, um, so Mosby says, Well, if these Dutch won't come out, we'll burn them out. So the train starts, starts burning. Yeah. They finally did. And what's funny is one of the Germans explained that they were there to learn the art of war. That's why they came. And they come, and he come. He wrote up to Mosby to tell him this, and he yeah. complained. He goes, by the way, I had this great suit. One of your men stole my suit, and now I have to – he gave me his dirty clothes to wear, so he's complaining. So Mosby looks at him, and he says, well, didn't you tell me you came here to learn the art of, art of war? The German guy goes, yeah. He goes, well, that's your first lesson. Yep. <laughs> that's what he's about losing his, losing his suit. So – to Mosby's surprise, there were two Union paymasters on this train, Major Ruggles and Major Moore. Mm-hmm. And on the train, they were carrying a total of $168,000 greenbacks. Called the greenback rate. Yeah. See, that's yeah, nice. what I call it, right? Creative. So when three of Mosby's men opened the satchels, they found all of this cash and, and they were stunned. You know what they did? Mosby spread the money out, divided it equally amongst the men, regardless of rank. We're going to split evenly. Wow. They took all the money. What was funny about it too is after Ruggles and Moore were exchanged, 
Moore sent a letter to Mosby asking for a letter back saying that they took the money. Mosby did. Because apparently Moore and Ruggles were getting blamed for stealing the cash. So he's like, can you do me a favor? Can you say you took it? Because they think we did. I'm not sure if you ever wrote the letter or not, but that's a true story. Um, At this point, Sheridan, he's going to write a letter to Henry Halleck about all this. Yeah. And he's, he's going to write to him and says, let, let them know that there is a God in Israel and Mosby has annoyed me considerably. That's what the quote was. You know what? I got to say, I respect Mosby a lot for annoying Sheridan because I cannot stand Phil Sheridan. Anybody <laughs> that annoys him, hero. Oh, he, he absolutely did. Well, Mosby didn't know it, but his rays were his days were coming to an end with the rays. Yeah. And he didn't realize it. So December 21st, 1864, He'd gone to the house of a guy named Joseph Blackwell. He's a local farmer, and he's going to attend a wedding of his ordnance sergeant. That's what he's going to do. Now, while he's there, he's going to hear of approaching cavalry. And so he's going to take a guy named Tom Love and ride out to go see what the heck's going on. They get out there, and they immediately start getting, getting fired upon. Yep. Like, what the hell? So they haul ass to a nearby house who they knew was a Southern sympathizer, part of that network. Yep. And they go inside as a family sitting down to dinner. The lights are on. They knock on the door. They get let in. And soon they're eating dinner with the family. Mosby had a, he was going to a wedding, had a nice dress outfit on, Mm -hmm. but he had his Confederate jacket with the stars on it. Yeah. And so first thing he does, he takes a jacket and hides it. Because if they come in this house, he wears that jacket, then he's screwed. Yeah. So eventually what happens, the union men do come in the house. And while Mosby's being interrogated, from outside, some trooper fires a shot through the window and gets him right in the stomach, gets yeah. Mosby. And he thinks it's mortal. The doctor examining the wound is going to determine it that he, it's going to be mortal. And the Union troops see him dying and they go, well, nothing we can do with that. We're going to leave with the family. Yeah. We're going to walk away. They didn't know it was Mosby. No. They had no idea who it was. But he'd managed to stumble Mo- upstairs and he hid his jacket just right. in case they went to look for stuff, right? You know, Mosby told the doctor, he says that he was ironic that he was shot in the same part of the body that Jeb Stewart was shot in. He, he thought that was yeah. a sign. So, wow. But the doctor was able to get the ball out of his body, and Mosby miraculously survived this. But he takes a he long time able, to recover. He does. He gets transported to his father's house back in Lynchburg, yeah. where he finds out in the newspapers he's been reported dead. Now, it was somewhere around now where they, the Union guys put one-on-one together and realized that the guy they shot was Mosby. Yeah. And they think they killed him. And they, you kidding me? They came with their pants on. They're so excited that they killed John Mosby. <laughs> and so um, they, they reveled in it, especially Sheridan. Sheridan was absolutely delighted when he heard the news. But what happens weeks later, they get the bad news of Mosby's death was, uh, was greatly exaggerated, as they say. Yeah. And Lieutenant Colonel Clendenin of the 8th Illinois Cavalry, the elite 8th Illinois, he's going to report, because he goes on reconnaissance to find this out. He says, the rebel accounts show that their conclusions were correct. Mosby is not yet dead. The devil takes care of his own. That's what he said to him. But Mosby does take a long time to recover from this wound. A long time compared to the the rest of the wounds that he had received during the war. You know, even after the... uh, the coin purse groin injury he was only a few weeks recovering from that the one prior to that again he was back after a month but this one well, the, this the one takes him were, out 
the greenback raid, he had to he had, he had to fight with one boot on. He had his sock on. Yeah. Because he got hurt in his foot and he couldn't put his boot on. So he, yeah. had, a, he had a sock on. So he his body, he was taking hits. Mm-hmm. Um, he does, in fact, recover, though. And he does, his men continue to raid under his name. Yeah. March 27th, 1865, Mosby gets a promotion. He gets put in command of all troops in Northern Virginia, which is just a few weeks, a few weeks later is going to be Appomattox in yeah. the surrender of Robert Lee's Army of Northern Virginia. And he's going to, they're going to surrender. But what's interesting though, too, is he was an Appomattox. He didn't formally surrender until June 17th, 1865, yeah. one of the last commanders to surrender. His guys keep going for a few weeks after the war. And like Mosby just pretty much refuses to surrender. You know, well, Mosby is one of these guys that E.P. Alexander is thinking about with the bushwhacking, yep, the guerrilla style this, warfare. This is yep. this is who he's really thinking yep. of. But June 17th, he does shut it down. He writes a letter to his troops. He writes, soldiers, I have summoned you together for the one last time. The visions we have cherished of a free and independent country have vanished. And that country is now the spoil of the conqueror. And at this moment of bidding you a final adieu. Accept his accept the reassurance of my unchanging confidence and regards. Farewell, XOXO, John Mosby. Yep. That's the letter he's gonna he's gonna write to his guys. But even after the war, though, the union continues to be a pain in the ass to him because yep. they don't like him. No, Stanton like- doesn't like. He puts a price on his head and says there is evidence that Moby or <laughs> there is evidence that Mosby knew of Booth's plan. Um, Stan, that Stanton to General Hancock and he said you know he was probably in the city when it happened and at this point this is like Stanton playing reaches extending his grasp to try and figure out what's going on with the Lincoln assassination there's absolutely no evidence that Mosby was there Hancock knew that Hancock knew he was in Virginia at the time of the assassination yeah that was, Stanton didn't offer Mosby that pardon that was given to all of Lee's army uh, it, it didn't yeah. include him um, he got arrested on trumped-up charges um, until he finally appealed directly to U.S. grants. And, and yeah, his grant wife and hand- son Reverdy went. Yeah, went to to he Grant. Got, yeah, he got a handwritten pardon in January of eighteen sixty-six. Yeah, but this is this is there was really an, this plus the the kindness that that Grant showed Lee at Appomattox really made him respect Grant. This is Mosby. Yeah. So Mosby's going to write about, about Grant. He's going to write, I had strong personal reasons for being friendly with General Grant. If I if if had not thrown a shield over me, I would have been outlawed and driven into exile, he says. Mm-hmm. And what's funny is this, is Mosby and Grant kind of forged this weird weird partnership, this friendship, well, this officer's attract type thing? Yeah, because it's funny because May 4th, 1865, Grant writes to Halleck and said, I would advise offering a $5,000 reward for Mosby. And then 1866, he's saying, you know, let's grant, let's give him um, an exemption from arrest, guaranteed safe conduct. And, you know, Grant grows to respect and like him too. Like you said, they became good friends. Grant said of Mosby, since the close of the war, I have come to know Colonel Mosby personally and somewhat intimately. He's a different man than what I entirely supposed. He is able and thoroughly honest and truthful. Yeah. Mosby knew Grant would be the guy to help with reconstruction. He yeah. figured if we got really good terms of surrender, he, maybe he's going to give the South good terms. Lincoln's yeah. dead. Johnson's going to be a disaster. He knows. So they had a good little thing going. Mosby's going to ultimately join the Republican Party. He's going to flip. 
He's going to campaign for U.S. Grant, which suddenly made him, who was once one of the heroes of the South, quickly hated in the a, South. He's a scallywag. Scallywag, right. Yeah. Mosby had become also very outspoken against Robert E. Lee and mm-hmm. because of what happened was Lee blamed Jeb Stewart for Gettysburg. Actually, it wasn't even Lee. It, 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 was, it was Marshall and it was Taylor yep. who started to write letters saying that Jeb Stewart was supposed to maintain contact with the Union Army. I mean, the Confederate Army, he never yeah. did. And then Mosby's like, wait a second, I have the original order. All, all this order says is, is Jeb is supposed to stay to the right of Yule to the Susquehanna going up that area yeah. and get supplies. There was nothing in Lee's order to Jeb about maintaining contact with the Army reporting on Hooker. Beverly Robertson, you had guys like that to do it. But so that original order that, that Mosby had says, wait a second, this has nothing to do with it. It was part of that post-Gettysburg post-war. We can't blame Lee for this. Yeah. And Mosby hated that. It wasn't so much he disliked Lee. He didn't, he didn't, he knew that that cult of personality, that lost cause thing that was being created was bullshit. And he yeah. knew it. And for that reason, the people in the South didn't really like this guy too much. Um, and so but but of Grant, Mosby knew he was the guy. He said, I know it is the disposition of General Grant to do everything in his power for the relief of the Southern people if Southern politicians will let him do it. Yeah. So that's these are the type of comments he was making. Yeah. The dude could write, and he oh, was a little swarmy. It's probably not a Bostonian. Oh, he he, he sounds like I found a total Bostonian quote from Mosby where he said. There was more vindictiveness shown to me by the Virginia people for my voting for Grant than the North showed me for fighting for four years against him. Yeah. You know, he's just got and this so, kind of, he's like, you know, I'm trying, basically saying to the Southerners, you know, and the people where he's from, Virginia, I'm trying to help you out. Like, we need to, to move past this. And he's become like like Longstreet, a scallywag. Mosby had his, he was had his life threatened. Yep. He had his childhood home assassination burned. Assassination attempt. You know, assassination attempt. That letter you mentioned of Ben Chapman, that you mentioned before about the fighting for four years against them. Yeah. He, he was feeling it. He clearly was. 1878, Mosby's going to lose his wife, Pauline. Mm-hmm. And he's going to find himself the only parent of six children. And yeah. he needed a job. So what is he going to do? He's going to use his political connections to get a gig. Um in the U.S. consuls, uh, as a U.S. consul to Hong Kong, mm-hmm. um, and from there he's, he got a good number of government type of positions. Now, he was uh, he was also the assistant attorney general in the Justice Department. He was there from 1904 to 1910. During this time, he wrote a lot of books, had a lot of adventures. You know, one thing that was fun was he ended up meeting Grant again. It was 1879. It was the last time he ever saw him. He was on a he took a boat ride with him in Hong Kong. Yeah. And so he, he ends up with um, he ends up with U.S. grants and the governor of Hong Kong uh, was there with them and they were talking and General Grant was talking about. He said um, he was given a description of a ride he took on a donkey from Jaffa to Jerusalem. Yeah. And he, and he said um, in General Grant says that was the roughest road I ever traveled. I don't think I've traveled a tougher road than that. And then um, and then Mosby says, um. He goes, he goes, yeah, you have. And Grant goes, where? He goes, from the Rapidan to Richmond. <laughs> right. And so on. And then Grant sits back, probably had a big cigar going. He goes, yeah. well, he goes, I reckon there were more obstructions on that road than this one. Yeah. <laughs> but, but that's but that was the type of conversations they had. Yeah. And so he um he wrote a lot of books. He wrote his memoirs. 
1916, Mosby is going to die at the age of 83. He'll be buried next to Pauline in the town of Warrington, Virginia, which is not far from the Manassas battlefield, not far from, from Fairfax. But the thing about Mosby, though, is his legend still hangs over Virginia. Yeah. And, and you know, years later, there was that story that he was close with the Patton family. Yeah. And it was rumored, and, you know, this is, you know, who knows, but it's rumored that a young George Patton, General Patton, you know, yep. the big man there, rode on the family farm with an aging John Mosby with George playing the role of General Lee. And who knows that, that's but that's, so that's cool. the story. 1992. 1992, 1992, okay, 1900. He's inducted into the U.S. Army Rangers Hall of Fame in Fort Benning, Georgia. It's 100 years later. And the thing about it is whether these stories are are true or legend, and most of them are true, and a lot of them are embellished, I'm sure they are. The fact of the matter is the partisan tactics that are fought by John Singleton Mosby, a guy with no military background, they are still studied at West Point today, yep. and they were used in the recent modern wars in Afghanistan and Iraq. So the ghost of John Mosby still cast a large gray shadow throughout the Civil War and beyond the U.S. military. There's yep. no question. Yep. Oh, definitely. He's he's a fascinating study. And the one thing I thought when I was doing the research for this episode is I went into it, like, honestly, be honest, I, I didn't know too much about John Mosby other than, you know, gray ghosts and like a couple of his raids and all that and just his kind of how he was with jeb stewart but i thought like wow this is another guy whose life would make a really cool like netflix series you know like eight episodes or something on on john singleton mosby i think that would just like it's so fascinating and it's also it's got enough that it would be comedic you think about him going in to get stoughton and spanking him right like it's just it's it's a fascinating le- life he led and just how he was able to do what he did with his Rangers. Even, was... even when they were like, you know, he starts off, there's just 15 of them. And then it grows to be as much as at 1.2,000 on average, it was about 800 once they got really got going, but still it's a fascinating story. And, and you're right though. If you know, he was a hard disciplined guy and yeah. he would threaten them. You don't do what I want. You know, I'm going to do with you. I'm going to send you back to the army. Yeah. No, 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 no. That's how that's what they wanted to do. They wanted to be a partisan. So he's a guy. We talked a lot about guys um, with with this, but the, what's fascinating about him was he was somebody. He was he was a hard guy. He was not a cruel guy. Yeah. He didn't burn things. You know, a lot of stuff. He destroyed property, uh, railroads, things like that. Yeah. But he was a true definition of a cavalier because he literally robbed from the rich and gave to the poor. You know, with things like medicine. Yeah. He sent supplies back to, to you know to the, the Confederate Army, and he did it with a smile on his face. Yeah, and that's the thing about him. So he's someone who is uh he's he's an A-lister. He's not somebody who's kind of in the background. Everybody knows who John Mosby is, but when you study his background about how he's forged that friendship with Jeb Stewart, got the opportunities, made yeah. the best of his opportunities, and became the apple of Jeb's eye. Yeah, um, his career just took off like a rocket to the moon. So. John Mosby, he lived until 83 years old. He made it all the way through. They never did catch him. And so um, at the end, so he was able to, to live a life. Unfortunately, you know, his life kind of ended up in the South, kind of uh, tainted a little bit because of the scallywag thing with grants. Yeah. And, and, that, and that's unfortunate. But I think um, when you look at both sides, he's somebody who any soldier, if you could bring them back today, will tell you that he was a guy they probably feared and respected. Yeah. And at the end of the, at the end of the war, he knew the war was over. It was time to reconcile the South. Yeah. 
and he did everything he could to help make that happen too. So he was somebody who uh, definitely is a worthwhile study. Definitely. For anybody who hasn't studied him, his memoirs are a great read. It's very entertaining. It reads like a, it reads like an adventure novel. I've, I read some of them to get ready for this episode. It's very fascinating. And it's definitely a definitely a lot of fun. Yeah. So what's coming up for us, Mary? What's what's next for us? So our next episode will be dropping on Halloween weekend, and we will be joined um, for our third Halloween extravaganza from the Boo Barn by Jay Price, our Jen Vincent Price. We yes. back with old Bloody Mary Fincher. Yep. <laughs> Halloween three, the sp- yep. spooktacular part three. I can't yep. believe we're doing a third yep, episode. It's a third so one. Halloween yep. fun. We're gonna go from talking about a gray ghost to a lot of other ghosts that hopefully won't be too too scary. Yeah. Freaked me out last time. So that was, that was yeah. not good. Jen said not she's not gonna freak you out this time. I think. But yeah, that's no, what I'm we're sure gonna be doing. I'm sure she um, if you're listening to this, we hope you joined us for our Facebook Live. Um, we will be announcing our next roundtable soon. It's, we had to move that. It's not going to be next week. It's probably going to be the week after. Um, we got a couple more books for our book club, which we're going to get squared away with that soon. Um, and then, yeah, we will be with you with our Halloween episode. But then in November, we'll have probably some battle episodes. And we've got a couple other things planned as well. And stay tuned soon. Very soon, we'll be announcing the books for our 2023 book club. And then book club coming up here next month. Yep. We do. We'll be yeah. talking about that. So yeah. anyway, that's, that's good. So bring candy for the thing next week. I expect candy. Yeah. We speak <laughs> bring those for the episode. Any final words from you, Fincheru? Well, thank you for bringing it um, for this episode. You did awesome as always. I know Mosby is a guy that you love to study. And I have to say, I love studying him too. He's a very fascinating individual. So I'm glad we were able to fun talk guy. about him tonight. Yep, absolutely. It's a lot, it's a lot of fun. Any final words Well, everybody, thanks for... No, I got nothing to say. As usual, I agree with everybody. So have a great weekend. Um, have a great uh, end of the week. Some rain's coming this week. Hopefully it, um, it stays rain, not snow, as we begin to look a little bit towards Halloween yep. around the corner. Oh, my yep. goodness gracious. All right, that'll do it for us. Everybody, thanks for listening. Mary, again, the pleasure was all yours, as usual. And we look forward to you all on the other side. See you all later. Do, 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 do.